Good day, everybody. Welcome back into Mining Stock Daily. Uh, it's been a while since we've had our uranium sector update, and actually it's uh, timely that we get this done because there has been just an absolute number of headlines regarding uranium out from uh, a number of different countries lately. And the equities that uh, we follow within the uranium producers and exploration sector has also been on the move on the back of this. So we welcome back in the uranium insider himself, Mr. Justin Hewn. Justin, how's life these days? A little busy, I take it. Very busy. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it was such a slow summer, slow and boring right. summer. Um, and it just changes so quickly. So yeah, the, the last uh, the last week, especially has been pretty exciting in the uranium sector. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, let, 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 let's try to like paint a broad picture first, and then maybe we can uh, nail down a couple of the key headlines that are important that you mentioned that happened in the last week. It, it seemed the, I think it's simple to say momentum is back in the uranium sector, and it tends to do this. Momentum gets really hot and then just kind of settles for a little bit, and then a little bit of news perks up, more news perks up, momentum is back. And I think that's where we're at right now. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, it's it definitely seems like it. Um, it's interesting right now because the market's dumping again, and uh, the uranium stocks are holding up. Uh, Cameco's barely down on the day. With we're, we're pushing almost one and a half percent down on the S and P, and so it's really you know that's kind of one of the core theses, I suppose, for being long, uh, you know, uranium and other commodities and metals, etc. Over the next few years, let's say, is really kind of a theorizing of a, of a rotation of funds you know money needs a place to go and what's working tends to attract more more money and so um, energy really has been working this year for the most part especially when it comes to oil and gas um, and uranium finally has starting to move here after really being caught in summer doldrums for three months with sput being at a persistent discount to nav and um, so it's it's good to see it's it's finally showing some relative strength here with We've got, you know, up off the bottom, we've got stocks up 40, 50% off the bottom from July. So that's, it's a pretty good move so far already. So let's walk us through some of the, the big headlines. I've seen stuff out of Germany recently. That's important. I've seen stuff out of the UK recently. Uh, so maybe let's just stick with Europe. We know that there is a little bit of an energy crisis happening in Europe right now. And nuclear has always been a part of this. Well, that they didn't want it to be a part of it, but it sounds like that's the obvious solution. So what do we know out of Europe right now? Well, we know that we're seeing record high energy prices across multiple countries in Europe, um, in Germany, even in France, that's majority nuclear, but France's nuclear fleet is having plenty of problems right now that has to do both with um, they're experiencing a drought, so a lot of the France's reactors are sitting on, on rivers um, and utilizing the water from the river to cool the reactors. And so when the river level gets to a certain uh, level of being low, they have to actually reduce the output of the, of the reactor. And then there's a number of reactors that are um, underinvested in terms of maintenance for the past decade, and that's a whole long story with EDF. And um, But those reactors, uh, they have a few that are offline for maintenance. So their fleet is actually running at about 50% capacity right now which is a big deal because they are the largest exporter of electricity in the world. And all of the surrounding countries are hurting um, from an energy standpoint. And we've got, I mean, we're seeing, you know, I saw a tweet today from a, a coffee shop owner in the UK that they took a photo of their electricity bill of 9,000 euros 
for their electricity bill. I mean, we're seeing their their electricity costs have gone up by multiples over the course, you know, year on year. So we're having just this major energy crisis in Europe, and um, energy costs, generally speaking, in most places have gone up just because of the price of oil, the price of gas, the price of coal. You know, Japan's in the same boat. And one of the major headlines that's really moving this market right now for uranium has to do with Japan, in that Japan is moving relatively aggressively to uh, restart more reactors faster. So they've already restarted 10 reactors since 2015, and that's been a very, very slow process. A few of those are actually offline right now for maintenance as well. Uh, But they're talking about having 17 reactors restarted by the middle of next year. That's a really, really fast, accelerated restart for Japan. And Japan's new prime minister, Kishida, has has come out with guns a-blazing in terms of restarting nuclear. And, And a big part of that has been kind of just the... The circumstances currently in terms of energy costs and energy security, et cetera, and these actually influencing the sentiment of the populace. So now that the population of Japan is majority in favor of restarts, the government of Japan can be more aggressive about restarting. And I think it's a really big signal for Japan. It, uh, you know, this is the country that has experienced the nuclear accident that's most recent in everyone's minds. You know, when you have conversations about pros and cons of nuclear, the, the, the first thing that someone brings up is, well, what about Fukushima? And, of course, understanding Fukushima, it wasn't a good thing that happened. Um, but, you know, not a single person lost their life due to that accident. Um, and now the country that actually had the experience of Fukushima and, of course, the experience of um, you know, nuclear warfare in World War II is re-embracing nuclear. And that, I think, says a lot more in terms of sentiment and messaging to the world than really it has to do with supply and demand fundamentals, which it does, but really it's the messaging that's kind of huge. And that's what the market reacted to last week and took off on Wednesday. Justin, you know, I, I can't remember what it was verbatim, but Rick Rule said something along the lines that the next great uranium bull run will begin when sentiment in Japan changes again, not verbatim or something along those lines. Uh, a, do you agree with him? And B, is this that moment? You know, it's funny because he's been saying that for years and I actually think that, uh, he, he kind of largely missed the first leg up in this market because he was really attached to that, um, to that thesis that the, the uranium market really isn't going to finally turn around until Japan accelerates the restarts. And, um, you know, I generally disagreed with that and all along have kind of felt that, well, the overall thesis for being long uranium and for, a, um, you know, a resumption of, let's say, support for nuclear, doesn't it's not hinging on the Japan story. Uh, so I think I'm still kind of in that camp, but clearly... The Japan story accelerating is a big deal, and the market is recognizing that. So while I sort of disagreed with him in the past, he sort of was right at the same time. So I think, you know, the market really did move in a big way starting in December 2020, and that had absolutely nothing to do with Japan. That was more capital flows than anything. But, of course, the capital flows were were seeing a, a, a contrarian opportunity in, in uranium and nuclear. And that's what that's what really propelled this market over the past almost two years. Um, now this is kind of the next thing that's really just kind of adding gasoline to the fire. Do we know where Japan sources their uranium from? 
And how does that play into the geopolitics of uh, supply of energy? Japan, you know, they, they sort of, I, I think they spread it around a bit. Um, there are Japanese um, nuclear fuel product traders that get um, a significant amount of uranium coming from Kazakhstan, coming from Uzbekistan. There's a prominent uh, uranium trader uh, called Itochu, and they um, they have an offtake, a monthly offtake, really, from, from the Uzbeks that are low-cost ISR producers. Um, I don't believe they source a lot of material from Russia, although right now, really, that question is kind of... It's difficult to answer right now how they're going to operate going forward. We do know that Cameco just recently sent a team of people to Japan to speak with Japanese utilities, which I think is a big signal not only for Cameco in the West, but also just that, okay, they are you know seeing the writing on the wall in terms of um, reactor restarts actually getting support from the government going forward. So uh, you know, in the past, you know they sourced a lot of uranium during the previous bull market, and that's been kind of one one uh, possible theory as to supply that could come back into the market from Japan, which is uh, a lot of Japanese utilities paid up for uranium, you know, in 05, 06, into early 07, you know, paid pretty high prices for uranium. And if they have a reactor that has been decommissioned or is not likely to restart, they still have uranium sitting on their books. Assuming that it's not in the form of fabricated fuel, they could sell that back into the market, whether that's EUP or UF6 or even U308. But it is presumed that a lot of the inventory that, Jap- that Japan is holding is in the form of fabricated fuel because they uh, didn't at the time really have a lot of their own um, fuel, uh, nuclear fuel processes. So it didn't really make sense for them to hold drums of yellow cake physically in, in Japan um, if it has to be converted and enriched elsewhere. So going forward, I think they're they're most likely going to remain aligned with the West, I would guess. Um, but really, I, I don't really have accurate information on how the Japanese utilities are contracting right now. And that information will come out eventually. Okay. Uh, let's move to the domestic industry here in the United States. Uh, there's been a couple of headlines as well. Again, this is really just a catch-up, just kind of a blanket summation because there's been so much news recently. Uh, you know, talk, walk us through some of the the news events in the uranium industry here in the United States. Well, I think one of the big pieces of news was the Inflation Reduction Act that was signed into law. Uh, this was, well, I guess, that was this month, a few weeks ago. Um, this this act has a variety of uh, elements to it, positive and negative, in my opinion. But one of the big elements that it's affecting the nuclear market is um, uh, production tax credits for nuclear. And that to, is to the tune, if I recall correctly, something like $30 billion over the course of 10 years. And and so it's really kind of, uh, it's interesting because this, this uh, it, it's clear that there is now financial and uh, and sentiment support coming from the federal government for the existing reactors in the country. Um, it's really very curious. So, so this Palisades plant in uh, Michigan that shut down two or three months ago, they're actually talking. The owners of that plant are actually talking about bringing it back online, and they closed it down because it was an older reactor. Um, it had a number of fixable problems but still very high cost maintenance issues that would have had to have been dealt with to keep the plant running and nobody wanted to buy the plant none of the other utilities wanted to take it off their hands so off it goes even though it's you know it's really obvious to anybody that follows this market it's like we really need to keep as many reactors online as possible just due to the fact that it's clean energy and it's baseload energy blah 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 
Um, but really when it comes down to it, it's the bottom line for the owners that if they can't run this thing profitable, profitably and they have to put out tens if not hundreds of millions um, in maintenance, probably not hundreds of millions, probably tens of millions in terms of maintenance, they might just let it, let it die because the decommissioning cost that's already sort of baked into the sunk cost of the plant, right, um, makes sense rather than trying to keep it online and not be profitable. So this this act that was signed is actually potentially going to bring back a shuttered plant, and that is not something that was on anybody's bingo card. Now we're hearing that uh, you know Diablo Canyon, California, against all odds, is likely to remain open. I think there's an important decision that has to be made, I believe, within the next week on that front. But just the fact that the governor in California and the um, you know I mean California is a is a Democratic supermajority, and historically speaking, the Democrats have not been in favor of nuclear. Uh, just to just to speak broadly, um, so the fact that they're talking about keeping that online, in California is a pretty big deal. Um, uh, so yeah, it's really that's that, those are the biggest storylines in the U.S. is is federal government financial support for existing nuclear. And one interesting thing on that front is that there's 25 to about 30 percent of the existing nuclear fleet in the United States, which is 92 reactors currently operating are set to come offline in the next 10 to 12 years or so. And this funding from this act should be sufficient to keep all of those online. It wow. should, it should, assuming that the utilities that are operating them want to keep them online, this funding should be able to support those. So that's, that's significant as the largest fleet in the world currently. Wow. Wow. You know, keeping keeping plants and keeping reactors online is one thing, Justin. The long-term solution here, we know, is that you have to produce more. You have to build more. Is there any sort of discussion, anything on the table that you're hearing of people move, maybe pushing something like this forward? Not In just maintaining, that, like building, new, building new plants. In the United States? Yes. Um, honestly... I, I would be very surprised if we see any new large reactor builds in the United States. And I think that that has, has mainly to do with the incredible cost to build nuclear plants in the United States. And Vodal is just one example of that. Um, I, I, and I, this, is, this is hearsay. I can't confirm this, but I did hear, for example, at the Vodal plant that's currently under construction and is set to come online. It's getting close to near completion. It's supposed to come online next year um, in Georgia that they realized that they poured the, uh, the, 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 the foundational concrete for the, for the plant that's currently um, under construction that's set to come online. This is a number of years ago. That they, they poured that concrete and they realized that the rebar for the concrete was spaced ever so slightly off, like off by an inch or something like that for the grid of the rebar. They, they demoed that out and reported it and that cost a billion dollars. Wow. Um, so, the, and I, you know, maybe I'm off there, but you get the idea. This is not China. I mean, we can't just throw, uh, you know, cheap labor at it endlessly and just knock these things out with very little environmental regulation. There's, you have to deal with a highly populated country where, you know, anywhere in the country, you're close to, to a variety of communities, if not big cities. So you have to deal with the sentiment around the actual place where the plant would be built. Huge, just unbelievable bureaucratic red tape. So it's high, in my opinion, it's pretty unlikely that large plants will be built. However, there is a ton of uh, momentum for SMRs and advanced nuclear in the United States. There's funding for it. I just spoke with a SMR startup company 
um, yesterday, actually, and they are working on prototype at the Idaho National Lab, and the DOE is partially funding that. Um, there's all kinds of funding coming from the DOE, coming from the federal government for um, engineering, design, testing, and potentially implementation of small modular reactors. That is gaining a lot of momentum here in the United States and elsewhere. I mean, you see an SMR headline somewhere in the world every single day right now. Um, it's happening. I mean, China is building the first one. They're actually building it right now. So that's going to be up and running um, very soon. So the SMR front, advanced nuclear front, has a ton of momentum. And I think it really ticks a lot of boxes for the United States because it's, um, you know, the, in the United States still, there's a lot of people that are that are fearful of nuclear um, just due to Three Mile Island and the, and the um, you know, the, the bad press that nuclear has had over the last two decades has largely been funded and pushed by, by fossil fuels, uh, fossil fuel lobbies. Going forward, SMRs that are, quote unquote, a lot of these designs are, are meltdown proof. Like you could actually, they could have zero personnel operating these things and would not risk um, an actual meltdown. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, we can pop these things into the into retired coal plants. In fact, the first one that's supposedly going to be built in the States is in the state of Wyoming, and it's going to replace a coal plant and just plug into the existing grid that's there. Makes a lot of sense. So huge, huge potential for SMRs in the United States going forward. Our buddy Doomberg wrote about SMRs a couple of weeks ago, actually, in a really great article. And it, it was about, you know, the positive aspects of it. But there is a contingent of people who are pushing back against things on the, and, and they're calling for, uh, I, I think one of the arguments against these SMRs was the amount of waste that they produce is actually greater than that of a much bigger nuclear plant, which is kind of hilarious to think about on the, on the cover. Uh, and Duber, he did a great job of allowing or showing evidence of the company that actually produced these uh, small reactors to actually disprove these quote unquote academics uh, that did these quote unquote academic studies. Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting, but why, you know, why such a pushback against a small nuclear reactor? It can't be just about because they're fearful of a little bit of waste, which really is the size of, you know, a, a yeah. liter jar. Yeah. Yeah, they, I, I know what article you're talking about. There was kind of a hit piece on uh, New Scale and New Scale's uh, Voyager uh, module, which is, I believe it's a 77 megawatt um, SMR. And it uses, it utilizes a uh, light water reactor technology. So it's it's not it's not utilizing halo fuel. It's not any sort of new type of core design. And they're the only SMR uh, maker that has NRC approval, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. So uh, naturally, they're kind of a first mover, which is private, probably why they had this hit piece, um, in which that hit piece was completely refuted by the company and, and like you said, by by Doomberg as well. Um, and the waste is interesting because, you know, I always come back to like, there's, there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? I mean, you, you, you just can't produce electricity, uh, without producing some sort of negative aspect and some sort of negative influence on the local environment, um, on supply chains, et cetera. Right. So, I, I mean, with solar, you have, um, heavy metals and mercury inside these things and, and there's no real, um, real flow here for recycling uh, the elements in the panels. So the panels operate for 10 or 20 years and then they get dumped into the landfill. Um, there's still major, most of the solar panels and a lot of the support for solar due to its low cost 
has to do with the fact that it's been produced using essentially slave labor and uh, environmental catastrophes in China. And so is that really a cheaper, better energy source? I don't know. It's arguable. Um, but with uranium and with nuclear, <clears throat> with nuclear specifically, the waste argument is interesting because, yes, it produced waste. Yes, it remains slightly radioactive for a very, very, very long time. I mean, 100,000 years or something like that, right? It remains somewhat radioactive. Um, the, but the, the waste coming from nuclear plants, we've never seen an accident from this waste. It is highly, highly regulated. It is stored extremely safely, and there's never been a problem with it. And so, And it's a very, very small amount of waste relative to what you get from that form of energy. And, you know, there's a, a data point around uh, the, the nuclear waste that I think gives a decent perspective is that if, you're, if your energy consumption for your entire life came from nuclear, the amount of waste for that would fit inside of a Coke can. Um, another visual on that is the U.S. has the largest fleet in the world. Um, we've been operating nuclear since the 60s. And we have 92 reactors currently. All of the electricity that's been produced by nuclear in the United States forever can fit on a football field 30 feet high. So it's really not a lot of waste, and it's safely stored. And so that argument really needs to be understood and refutable by anybody that's advocating for nuclear, because it's, it's really not a concern, and that's the primary concern from anti-nuclear folks. Just let that sink in for a little bit. <laughs> it's it's really it, 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 I don't even know how, what we debate about anymore. Well, you, you know, another element of the waste too is like there's certain people that would argue against the safe, permanent burial of the waste. So, for example, you have a country like Finland that has built um, an underground storage facility, permanent burial site for their nuclear waste. And so what this is, is they're going down, they have the geology just right. It's never going to be, um, you know, at risk of earthquakes or at risk of, you know, underground flooding or whatever it might be. Right. So they, they pick this location, they go down, however deep they go down hundred meters or something like that. Um, the casks that are steel and concrete that contain the waste are placed underground. They're backfilled with clay and buried and covered in concrete. And they just work their way from the bottom up to the surface over decades and decades of nuclear. There's certain people that would argue against doing that. And because they think that there is technology that is coming that is going to be able to utilize the waste and, um, and you know, potentially re-enrich it, recycle the fuel rods, end up using that. It's still very fissile, you know, when it comes out of the nuclear plant. So there's an argument to be made there that this isn't actually waste. And at some point in the future, I mean, the French recycle it right now. They do, they do something called MOX fuel, mi mixed oxide, where they they actually take the spent fuel from a nuclear reactor and run it through this process. And, and it comes out basically as plutonium. That's one of the byproducts of, of the uh, nuclear reaction in, in traditional, you know, um, nuclear reactors and so so that is possible you can recycle the the waste and reuse it and the french do that hmm. so we covered a lot of ground a lot of just kind of general news items and there's a lot of more kind of micro events especially in the equities uh justin i want to leave that to you and the newsletter because i think your newsletter is the best uranium specific newsletter offered to anybody interested in this space 
uraniuminsider.com. Head over there, inquire with Justin about getting a subscription. And Justin, uh, we are going to touch base again here in the next couple of weeks to see how this continues to all play out. The news is not going to stop here. I think it's still maybe second or third innings here for this bull run. I look forward to talking again soon, Trevor. Thanks so much. We'll be back here in a little bit, folks. Be well. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.